Hello and welcome to the Commotion Mobility Podcast, your regular glimpse into the future of mobility. I'm your host, Greg Lindsay, Director of Strategy for Commotion, and this week I'm joined by Tony Pino, who's the Vice President of Sales North America for Best Mile, which is one of the software companies that is aiming to basically run the service backend and optimize autonomy, ride hailing, microtransit, the managed fleet services of the future. And you know, Best Mile to me is interesting in the sense of, you know, we think about when we think about mobility. Uh, whether it's autonomous vehicles or ride hailing, we think about uh, you know uh, an OEM, or we think about you know an individual inside of a car. We think about it at the sort of individual level. When really it's going to be about all sorts of fleet management. It's going to be about all sorts of non-traditional operators, whether it's uh, you know malls or multifamily housing or you know universities, etc. Um, and you know the sort of really interesting heterogeneous landscape. And Best Mile is one of the technology companies out there that's trying to enable that. So thank you so much for joining us, Tony. Thank you for having me. Um, well, I guess this is sort of an intro. I mean, I sort of laid out some of I think Best Mile's ambitions, hopefully accurately. But I was hoping you could talk a bit about the company, your role there, and some of the customers you have, because I would think that they're not the usual suspects. So. Uh, please fill us in a bit about what Best Mile is up to. Sure. Um, so I'm Tony Pino. I'm head of sales for North America, um, and part of the North America, um, excuse me, is part of the uh, Best Mile um, executive team here. And you know what Best Mile offers is a cloud-based mobility service solution, including fleet orchestration platform, as you mentioned, as well as. Um, add-ons for native professional and public applications. Um, our, our platform itself is modular-based, component-based, um, API plugins, and we talk about the public interfaces, which are complementary to the underlying platform. Um, you talk about the driver app, the excuse me, the traveler app. The uh, we have a web portal and a kiosk that can be used and, and white labeled by our customers. We also have the driver app, safety driver app, and a dashboard, which gives you visibility into the ecosystem and in you know what's going on um, with regard to the service lines, the vehicles themselves, and really allows you to do a double click. And again, all this being agnostic in terms of a hybrid, whether it's um, autonomous um, or human-driven vehicles, our, our platform itself actually um, operates seamlessly natively with mixed fleets like that um, or in, in independent, whether it's autonomous by itself or human driven by itself. And the key too is that we are agnostic in terms of the type or brand of manufactured vehicle. So our underlying platform um, does, you know, completes all of the orchestration that, that we talked about um, in terms of the um, uh, platform it does all of the booking, the matching, the routing, uh, and those routing algorithms are our algorithms. Um, we do the pooling, the headway and timetable management. Uh, the, the platform does demand prediction, vehicle positioning, pre-positioning. Um, you know, we do a whole lot of optimization in terms of um, efficiencies with the vehicles, um, making sure that the right mission is sent to the right vehicle at the right time, getting the passengers. Um, to where they need to be. So the orchestration you have to think about is is not just having a vehicle. You, you have to have visibility into when the next pickup is, what what is the next pickup time, and then keep repeating that. So once you get to that next destination, it's okay. When is when's my next pickup? 
when do I need to be at the next location? And, and really we're, you know, we provide that intelligence in autonomy as well as human driven vehicles. But, you know, you have to have a level of awareness um, or, or you just have a bunch of vehicles running around in um, disarray and which leads to inefficiencies from a dollar perspective. It increases pollution. It increases traffic. Um, you know, it just it just leads to a ton of things that what autonomy is is not about. Yes. I want to I want to come back to that for for sure about you know basically like the the um, the consequences of unchecked autonomy which is been modeled out but but first I, I want to talk about I guess I, I'm curious about what you know le, yeah let's come back to the the externalities of that but first I'm curious about you know how some of your customers are using it because I think the agnosticism to me is one of the most interesting pieces of this in the sense of there's just this generalized perception it, certainly in the you know popular marketplace and I think even by a lot of professionals. And, and by the companies themselves, that this is going to be verticalized, right? That like, you know, you're going to have a, an Uber direct-to-consumer service where they have their own route optimization, their own pooling. Everything is sort of, you know, on their back end. And Waymo will offer the same, et cetera, et cetera. All these sort of consumer souped-enough brands. And really, you're offering a completely different vision where, you know, Best Mile is basically operating this all on the back end. And, you know, you can basically put a different wrapper on it and it's offered by somebody else. So, so you know, can you talk a bit about, I guess, some of your, a few of your deployments? I mean, I know you're do doing some work with public transport. I mean, I imagine that they're interested in using this as a way to basically like bolt on autonomy and new offerings without having to quickly gain that expertise themselves. But what, what are some of the more unusual deployments you've had so far, or at least, you know, ones we wouldn't expect? Well, I don't know if I would say unusual, um, but I, I, I understand where, you, where you're going with there. Because um, right now, autonomy and really this, this types of services are, are just new, right? So I, I think um, you know, we, we are at the forefront of providing that back-end platform. And as you said, you like the word agnostic, and that's really our, our go-to-market is being agnostic so that you don't have to retool every time the economy or the market changes. So you can pivot and be very agile using our platform. So we have customers that use us straight for AV shuttles, um, station to station, you know, arriving at specific stations at specific times, which plays into what you talked about that certainly could be for universities, it could be for airports, um, and from you know shuttle services to and from hotels to and from the parking lot, all of those things you know play into it. So we, we provide and arm our customers or enable them rather with the ability to focus on what they do best, and we focus on what we do best, and that's providing the number one fleet orchestration platform that is agnostic in terms of. The, the, the type of uh, method that you're driving your vehicles, autonomous human driven, as well as, you know, that agnostic nature of the manufacturers of the vehicles themselves, because there's dozens and dozens coming on the market, not just from a shuttle perspective, but now you're also not just moving people, you're moving product as well. And home delivery services, first and last mile, multimodal integration, all of these things are key to helping customers being able to go from end to end and having that capability to integrate with, you know, train schedules, bus schedules, um, different mapping um, infrastructure in terms of, you know, light sequences, all of those things are, are key. So our customers are, are able to deliver 
um, services, like I said, a station to station, whether it's time-based or headway-based, headway meaning that you don't have a bunch of vehicles queuing up at the same stop. They have intelligence and awareness of where the vehicles are in front of them. And then we have um, others that are you know, very unique in terms of, and maybe unusual and unique kind of, kind of go together here, right? Um, in terms of how they are going to market in customizing their service, specifically around safety, um, types of cars, delivery of service, windows, um, making sure, again, right vehicle, right place at the right time, getting those customers you know, to their location when they expect to go to those locations. So um, th- that's, re- that's really key is, is user acceptance or customer acceptance of these different modes of operation, um, whether it's AV, human-driven, whether it's a shuttle, whether it's a vehicle, whether it's an end, end robotic um, delivery of product to households. Interesting. I, I think it'll be interesting because I think no one's really thinking about what a heterogeneous fleet might look like at this point and sort of how to manage it together. But um, perhaps we can come back to that. It's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. But you, you had said earlier that, that, that you know, the one, a lot of these companies or some of the companies are, and even Uber and, and Lyft and, and Wayne, they, they have human-driven vehicles and they're trying to pivot now in terms of provide some autonomy. Um, autonomous solutions. So, um, you know, if they leverage our platform, they have no no changes in their business operations, which I think, so we are going to be the least disruptive to how their business operates now, which, you know, if, you know, those models have to change going from human-driven to autonomous or having a mixed fleet, like, like you just said there, um, you know, they're going to have some potential customer satisfaction issues, maybe some back-end um, integration issues, uh, tracking that type of thing, billing. Um, so, again, not saying that they are having those now. I'm just saying that they increase the risk by not having a uh, native single platform that can address all of their needs. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I thought that was important. Yes. Well, I would say, well, it'll be interesting to see. I, and we can talk a bit about this in a bit, too, about you know, how, yeah, how, where you're making inroads in terms of customers, about who's deciding that they don't want to be developing those capabilities. And it's just better to, uh, to, to basically, yeah, to turn to a third party for that. But, um, but I want to come back to your point for a moment here about, yeah, unchecked autonomy, because I think this is the thing that people are finally catching on to. And certainly it's come up with discussions about ride hailing, for example. Like, it took several years, but the data is in. We all know that exactly how many deadhead miles are going into some of these business models. I know New York City, for example, is in addition to its driver cap, is now thinking about figuring out some sort of cap on deadhead miles. And yeah, an autonomy threatens to make that situation worse, at least in conceptual models. I mean, it's been, I don't know, I think five years since the um, the OECD's International Transport Forum produced some models showing that like, yeah, that basically uh, even in best case scenarios in cities with strong public transit, autonomy would put a ton of cars on the roads instead of driveways or in parking depots uh, would increase congestion because they would be so highly utilized and yeah, run the risk of basically, you know, the ultimate risk, of course, is the so-called zombie, you know, menace of having empty autonomous vehicles, you know, varying from one location to the next. So this raises the question. Yeah, you know, um, I'm curious how Best Mile is trying to solve this and, and to what degree it can be solved. I'm curious what you've seen in 
your various models about how you can sort of streamline those operations to not have that. I mean, I imagine there's got to be a sort of irreducible amount of repositioning involved. But um, but yeah, how are cities going to prevent themselves from having you know permanent gridlock of, of autonomous vehicles and robots and and delivery bots uh, trying to position themselves at all times? Yeah, so the great question, and I I think the uh, holy grail for uh, autonomy is is really um, is is shared. And, and certainly electric would, would you know, electrification, that, that's a whole different uh, conversation, right? Um, but really in a shared um, environment, whether it's autonomous or human driven, that's when you're going to see the factor of, of 10x, um, as some studies were, were done in, in reduction of vehicles. But um, I, I think there will always be some inclusion of additional vehicle traffic um, with whatever method that um, is put into place here. But if done right, you could see, you know, you know, those factors of, of reduction overall so that, you know, because cities are growing and they can't accommodate more traffic, you know, the pollution from vehicles, is, you know, wreaking havoc on air quality, et cetera. Um, and, you know, having, you know, connected vehicles, um, you know, help address those challenges if, if it's in a shared um, environment. Well, that well. Speaking of shared, so that's that is the grail. I mean, the notion that we're going to shift people out of single occupancy vehicles into this, and I've and you know, for example, I've spent years listening to public policy people at Uber and Lyft and others, and, you know, insisting that their their business models were fundamentally about sharing, and that their and that our shared enemy, so to speak, was the sing, was the single passenger car. And yet, you yeah. know, we've sort of seen you know that rhetoric has sort of you know been downplayed a bit with partly due to the rise of micromobility. But I think also partly because, you know, in their particular case, just to use those two examples, Uberpool and Liftline are still, you know, very small pieces of that business. So given the fact that you guys are, you know, particularly used by shuttle services in the beginning, how are, how are we going to actually, how, how are you pushing people onto shared services or at least making that easier to use versus the ultimate convenience of, the, of a car or a scooter or other some sort of, you know, single passenger mode? So um, because, yeah, it's proven to be a lot harder not to crack than I think people were saying five or six years ago. Yeah, and 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 I and I can certainly see that. So I'll answer it in two ways because I think it's important. Because you know, really, if you look at you know Uber and Lyft, you know, five six years ago, I mean, a lot of people were not going to get into a car with a stranger and have them pick you up at your house or wherever, and then have them drive you to a destination. So it's really the evolution and the adoption of of consumers. In terms of accepting, that's how mobility is going to be. Um, so now, you know, very common that you're going to get into some type of um, shared vehicle or, or some car, car sharing service, and you get in it and you're going to go, and, and it's one on one. I think the sharing piece is really the next evolution of of where things are going. Um, and I and again, I think it's just adoption and acceptance that now now. I've accepted getting into the car with a with a stranger as the driver. Now I'm going to get into the car as with the the driver being a stranger, as well as potentially the passenger next to, next to me being a stranger. And and so I think that you know, you know that aspect is is very important, and and that's going to come. Um, there's there's no doubt that's going to come. In terms of helping increase that ridership, I think having that multimodal integration and you know, cons- consumers or travelers knowing, you know, where they're, you know, where the, when the bus is taking off, when the train is taking, you know, departing, those types of things are going to help with 
you know, the increase in getting into, you know, a vehicle that is that is shared to get you to your destination, as long as there is a um, uh, quality of service that gets you to your destination within a given window. And I and I think that that helps too. If I know I can get to my location within a five minutes of when they say, then I'm going to be on time. And I, and I think that's that's a key piece of of people not getting anxious over not getting to the location because I am now in a sh- I have to go pick someone else up um, type of scenario. Do you have any any particular public transit customers who are using that or piloting that? Because that to me, I mean that that to me has been one of the, I think the big sticking points about imagining mobility as a service and in every sense is this idea that. You know, yeah, that you're going to have really, you're going to have a high degree of fluidity and ease of use, and be able to glide from one mode to another versus sort of grinding the gears. And um, although I do think you're right about the information, I mean, I was recently moved from New York to Montreal here, and um, and it's for the first time that I actually trust the, I actually trust the data coming into transit app and other apps like that that the buses will arrive when they do. So it's sort of interesting to have, you know, you've got to build that faith that the service will actually arrive when the data says it will, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, what what kind of interfaces are people using that for, and, and are they testing that out for multimodality to show that people can you can sort of build that trust, and it becomes fluid enough that people will be willing to use it? Yeah, so we're in some um, POCs and or pilots, if you will, right now, um, where because it isn't just it, there's ingestion of data, there's the it's vetting and validation of the data that you're getting to ensure that the schedules are um, correct and that you're able to do your testing. So we we do all of our, um, we use our production platform for our customers when we're doing these types of activities. In fact, we have a service design offering up front. So we do a, a design deploy and manage type of process so that customers are able to provide us with data or we can go get public uh, data from taxi agencies, et cetera, um, and help customers do simulations on our production platform. So, and that would also include with the multimodal integration, the schedules that are out there so that we can run scenarios and make sure that they are optimal in terms of, you know, the core part of the service design is, is fleet optimization as well as um, passenger um, optimization in terms of wait times, that type of stuff. But um, at, at the end of the day, it, it's about, you know, it, it is the quality of the data and making sure that the customer can go from, you know, via mode one, modal one to modal two to modal three in some uh, some cases in terms of, you know, going from a vehicle to a bus to a train or to the airport, that type of thing. Well, I, well, additionally, public transport of the others, and I alluded to this earlier, I mean, you know, if we if we sort of run this film forward enough, we can imagine that, yeah, that, you know, you could have this sort of, um, you know, you could imagine putting any sort of, of brand on top of, you know, a best mile platform running all these mobility services. So, you know, I mean, I guess my question is, in the future, what do you imagine? What other entities will offer, you know, mobility as a service, either in the capital MS sense or in the lowercase? Like, you know, for years, I've wondered if we would imagine, and I think there was going to be a test, for example, in... Uh, in Columbus using Ford's Chariot when it was still operating about, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase providing mobility to customers and Chariot had a lot of sort of corporate commuting stuff. I mean, is this sort of a, you know, do we imagine a future where like this is something where mobility, you know, is now offered as a pickup service inside of a window from your suburban home and you don't have to worry about driving because your employer is providing it uh, or, or others? I'm curious about some of the, you know, what you think some of the future use cases are once Best Mile is out there and scaled up and really bringing together all these different modes on its platform. Yeah, and I, you know, I look at this as as a, a pivotal point in, in the revolution of mobility. So I've been through 
the virtualization revolution, where back in the early 2000s, it was, you know, leveraging a hypervisor to reduce your physical server count from, you know, from a 10 to 15, 20 to 1 ratio. We got through that in 2003, 2004, where that was the, that was the main uh, activities that you had to justify why you weren't virtualizing. Then we went through the cloud revolution in, in 2009, 2010, which was early in terms of why would you put stuff in the cloud? Now, 2012, 2013, you had, well, you have to justify why you're not putting everything in the cloud. And I see us now in that early stage of the mobility um, revolution where all, I really think it's limitless in terms of how things are going to shape and, and turn out on how these services can be offered. You know, the, the key piece at the end of the day is, is the safety of the passenger. It's the quality of the service um, uh, that's being delivered to the passenger. And certainly you have the other pieces of pollution and traffic and other items that, that need to be addressed and um, how these services are rolled out. And, you know, again, I, you know, our, our, our platform provides all of that um, naturally um, to, to orchestrate that intelligence and awareness within um, those services that could be rendered. I mean, you have you have scooter services, you have skateboard services from a transit perspective. So you, you literally could could go from you know your car to a scooter to you know to the to the metro stop to get you know it's just it's just endless types of um, connectivity um, via multi modes of transportation whether it's in the city or, or even, you know, from, from your home. What do you think, I mean, what, what do you think some of the larger implications for cities out of this um, in, that, in that future? So, you know, I've, listeners know that I've talked, one of, one of the projects I've worked on in the past was a, was a concept for Bloomberg Philanthropies and the National League of Cities imagining autonomous vehicle futures. And one of them imagined where, you know, in a best mile-ish universe, you could have a lot of different private autonomous shuttle services, which in theory might all be, you know, completely non-interoperable because they're all provided by different entities that had different levels of service provision and, and you know, and et cetera. They were all effectively private. Um, so it raised questions about, like, how would cities know where they are, you know, in terms of, you know, what, what routes are they on, where are they located, who are they serving? Um, and also the question of, like, you know, would we then have, you know, so many of these services that then we'd go back to the same sort of um, redundancy and congestion problems that they would produce? So I'm, I'm also curious, yeah, I mean, you know, is, um, you know, listeners also know we talk a lot about the mobility data specification on here from LA that's, that's spread to a lot of cities. I'm curious, is Best Mile complying with that? Like, are, are you thinking about how you already integrate with, you know, city regulators and their sort of overall scope about how these services, how these private services might integrate with public planning and also public transit agencies, et cetera? How, how will that, that, uh, that border start to blur, I guess? Yeah, and what we found from a regulation perspective, and you know, in a couple of years, I think the regulation, the the regulatory commission and compliance is going to be far easier than it is now because a lot of this is net new, like we talked about. But but you have different regulations from you know different cities to different cities, different states, different states, provinces to different provinces. So I think as all of that gets ironed out, um, you know, it, it's just going to take time. Um, and uh, for there to be an adoption of a common core set of regulations. And, and you know, again, we, we feel very uh, fortunate in terms of, you know, you would ask, you know, how do we identify where, uh, where things are, right? And, and, and our dashboard gives that full vision, um, 360 degree view 
visibility into the ecosystem of that service area. So cities could adopt our, you know, our dashboard, um, which is our um, backend services under the underneath the platform, and maintain operations and have complete, uh, if you will, a double click on each of the vehicles. And they could go into the dashboard, identify a vehicle, double click on it, and then get all the metadata on that vehicle in terms of speed of vehicle, energy consumption of that vehicle. Um, you know, there's just dozens and dozens of of metadata types of items that they'll have um, visibility of what they have now. Um, and again, that's just going to continue to evolve um, as as you know the market and the industry evolves. So the other question that raises is, on the flip side of that, if that's what's happening on the, the very back end with regulators, is, is what do you think is going to happen or how, are, how do you think people are going to approach mobility from a consumer brand standpoint, right? I mean, if it's all about, you know, safety is the most important thing and having these sort of shared rides, um, it raises some really interesting questions about, you know, how, you, how Best Mile sees uh, the future of competition with an Uber or a Lyft or a Waymo or a Tesla or any of these, which are all, of course, fighting and jostling for different pieces of the stack. So, I mean, it, to me, it sort of implies you think there's sort of be sort of a weak uh, or, or at least a very different branded universe than thinking that, you know, the mobility operators themselves and Uber will be also the strong consumer brand. It, impl- it sort of implied that there'll be one piece of your heterogeneous offering or platform for cities or other entities. Is that, is that an accurate way? Do you think, do you think that the brand approach will, will fade over time and it's just going to be, you know, mobility just becomes like water turning on the tap kind of thing? Or, or will that still matter and to what degree? So, so I, I think it really it comes down to um, the convenience of the service and the accuracy of the pickup and arrival times. I think that's always going to be core. But I, but I do, you know, again, that's, you're talking ten years out. I mean, really, anything's possible. But I, but I really do. That's a great analogy because it is almost, you know, you're going to turn your faucet on and water comes out. So I, I believe that's the expectation of the way the trajectory that the industry is that. You're just going to have access to vehicles, whether they're shared or um, autonomous or human driven. It's just going to be uh, available to you. Um, I, I think there may be an element of the different players in terms of I think there's always going to be a percentage of people that will always use a specific brand. Um, but I do think that that percentage of brand preference uh, will decrease, you know, in 10, 20 years over time as the services become more converged in terms of safety and accuracy um, over time. And, and the other other elements, and you know, may, maybe one is more green than other uh, than another, and so it's going to drive more uh, uh, utilization of that brand of vehicle. But I, I can see them converging at some point. Well, to, I was- consumer, to the benefit. Yeah, and it also goes back to your, you know, your your analogy with the cloud. I mean, I, you know, does it actually matter what brand processor is somewhere inside Amazon Web Services? All that really matters is that you can meter it by the minute and spin up an instance when you need it to. I can't, can't, I can't imagine that server racks are really something that people are thinking hard about about what brand it is on the front end. But um, I guess, this, I guess, well, as the last question to that is, could you think, can you talk a bit more about, I guess, sort of other parallels with that? Because I thought that was, I thought that was particularly interesting when you mentioned the cloud. I was like, right, what is the equivalent of spinning up a new instance for providing mobility? And do you think there are other interesting parallels about how you know your experiences in in cloud computing and, uh, and virtualization will will mirror with this? So that was interesting. You don't have a mobility background. You're coming out of that, which seems to have some uh, seems to have some relevance in this particular case. 
Yeah, there's direct correlation, you know, at the end of the day. Um, and and when you're spinning up virtual machines and in, in that analogy, you know, you're expecting um, X, X number of IOPS, so a, a, a service level, um, throughput level. You're expecting that. Just like when you come home and you turn the light on, you expect it to come on, right? It, whether it's a light or your vacuum, right? You, you still expect them to come on, even though they have different voltage intakes, right? And consumption. And, and so I believe it comes down to quality of service um, for the, that, that they travelers expect that when I get in, get, when I call for a vehicle, it arrives on time and it gets me to my destination on time safely. And, and I, I do believe it comes down to service level, um, which is going to drive, um, you know, utilization and consumption of specific brands. Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm afraid we're, I'm, I think we're out of time. Um, but so thank you so much for joining us, Tony. It's been fascinating. And um, yeah, I'm really curious to see how this is going to play out. What, what are, as I guess as a closing question, like what are some of your next deployments then? Or, you know, where are we going to see, you know, Best Mile next? Like where, where's Best Mile already hiding, I guess? Or what's your most famous uh, yet hidden kind of customer? So, so I guess if we're in hiding, I can't tell you because then we wouldn't be in hiding anymore. Um, we'd, we'd be found. So, so we're, we're, we're finding um, traction within um, the, the transit agencies, of course, and the transit operators, as you naturally would see. And then we're starting to get tapped by some of the big retailers as well. So I think, you know, just the evolution of, of the company is it's on a hockey stick um, trajectory. Very exciting times here. Um, the platform itself does everything I, I talked about. Plus, it also gives those KPI metrics, reporting metrics, which are key for the providers themselves so they can help uh, increase the quality of their business by having the data associated with um, the, the traveler experience. Um, but, but yeah, we're, we're in a great position right now um, uh, with, with our platform and then certainly the ancillary services that can be white labeled. Um, but we feel real good about um, what, what we've built and maintaining our uh, number one fleet orchestration platform status. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Tony. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us as well. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Commotion Mobility Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.